Well, we got everyone out, and then we went to go, like, assess where we were on things, and, of course, someone broke in, kicked in all of our doors, and we weren't planning to replace the doors, of course, kicked in all of our windows, and then stole all the copper out of the place. And it was good copper plumbing that is now gone. I didn't realize what copper was worth until then. I was like, copper can't be worth that much, and then rough linear footage is probably like fair market value is probably like eight to ten thousand what they could scrap it for my understanding is like 20 to 25 percent welcome to the freedom chasers podcast where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories successes goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom all right today we are here with michael smith um, we are super happy to have Michael here. He actually has an amazing story. He was actually laid off last August, but he is absolutely crushing it right now in real estate and multiple avenues. But before we get into that, we'd love to kick it off with a story, Michael. Could you tell us your craziest real estate transaction that you've experienced thus far? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to being here. Uh, yeah, I had a couple, but I think it makes sense to share one I'm currently in the process of. It's an 18-unit we just purchased. Uh, about a year ago now, we when we bought it, we knew we had to evict all the tenants and we were going to do two different, it's two different buildings, so we're doing nine at a time. We picked the tenants that had like the worst units and just said, hey, these nine units are clearly worse than the other nine. These tenants aren't paying. These tenants are paying way below market, but still they're paying. So we started evicting mile out and we knew it was going to have headaches, but it took six months to get all the tenants out. Um, with the COVID changes and all that, they could go to court, say, I have COVID. They kick it out four weeks. Oh, I have COVID again. Oh, I've applied to impact, which is uh, the government program that pays your rent if you've lost your job due to COVID or anything like that. But then it's on our job to follow up with them. And if they don't do the paperwork, they still get an extra four to six weeks. Um, so it just delays things and delays things. So we didn't get everyone out till August, late August, early September. So we had all their products rolling. Well, we got everyone out and then we went to go like assess where we were on things. And of course, someone broke in, kicked in all of our doors and we weren't planning to replace the doors, of course, kicked in all of our windows and then stole all the copper out of the place. And it was good copper plumbing that is now gone. I didn't realize what copper was worth until then. I was like, copper can't be worth that much. And then rough linear footage is probably like fair market value was probably like eight to 10 thousand what they could scrap it for my understanding is like 20 to 25 percent of that so 2500 bucks for a night haul not something i would do but apparently it's worth it to someone right so we're in the middle of that right now our first plumber kind of bailed out on us with a small deposit and now we're on the second one he's hustling and getting stuff done so i feel really confident about him and so we're looking to start screaming these units out um hopefully by the end of uh, December to have all nine units done. So we've got six guys ready to go as soon as the plumbing's ready. Walk us through the mindset that goes into that. I mean, I think these are the types of things that devastate a lot of investors yeah. and they end up leaving the industry and it's so sad. So walk us through, I mean, you had seven months of no rent and then all of this now work and costs that you weren't expecting. So, so how do you stay positive in the midst of all these unexpecteds? Yeah. When, you start getting the quotes and I was like, oh, 10 grand, right? Like they're small units. They can't be that hard. And then you find out what they cut through and all the other headaches it caused. And our quotes were between 25 and a hundred grand. And so it's a huge slap in the face. And you're right. Like the first thing was like, well, I'm done. I'll quit. Like 
I think we could sell it and return the investors their money. And they may not make anything, but they got their money back. But it's like, is that what I want to do? Is that what I want to be known for? And it's like, no. So five seconds later, five minutes later is kind of the rule I follow. Process, what's the best game of action? I can still make money on this thing. Good money on this thing too. I just have more work. Um, keeping your mind positive, I think, goes down to like your daily habits and your daily disciplines. So for me, my biggest thing is going to the gym every day. I go seven days a week. I'm not necessarily training to get stronger or anything like that. It's just the discipline of going to the gym every morning no matter what. Um, I get up between 4 and 4.30. Let's, let's, let's cut back to the five-second, five-minute. Can you yep. kind of describe that a little bit more in detail? Yeah. Um, so I think it's how how red, all red, right? He, I heard him at Bigger Pockets mm -hmm. once, and he has this crazy story where he was in a car accident and he stayed was paralyzed and was super positive throughout the whole thing. And it was because he thought about it for five minutes and he can't go back and change that a drunk driver hit him. And so like, I took that to heart and it was actually a month after I got fired is when I heard that. So it was like perfect timing. It's weird how the universe works. And so I've taken that to heart. It's like when hard things happen to me, if I can't change it in five minutes, it's not going to stress me out anymore. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to cry about it. I'll take five minutes, feel whatever emotions are there, and then move on, come up with a game plan. So I took that to heart. I think that's a huge thing. And just knowing, control what you can control. You can't control everything. So just focusing on the things you can control and then keeping a positive mindset around that. Love this. Yeah. And one of my mentors says something similar. And essentially it's like, it's like, did you really have a bad day or did you just milk a bad five minutes all day long? And uh, love that. Just So just shortening the time frame of how long you allow yourself to feel that negative emotion and then move on. And five minutes is good. I mean, it allows you to process so on and so forth. So you mentioned disciplines. Most people would say they don't like going to the gym. It's hard. I think you even said something to that effect in the pre-call. So can you define for us, like, you know, you have the way that you're getting good at these hard things is by doing hard things. Mm -hmm. But why is that the right path? Like, doesn't that just make you miserable if you're doing things you don't want to do or doing hard things all day long? Like, how does that actually translate into happiness for you down the line? Well, what it translate is if I'm doing these hard things now and building a schedule, um, I have a young daughter and the whole goal is by the time she's five, my company runs itself. So if I'm going to get to that point, I need to do a lot of hard things. There's a lot of systems we got to put in place. A lot of people I've got to hire. A lot of things I still have to figure out. I have a really high paying W2 job right now. Sure, I own all these companies, but only one of them would run without me today. And so if I'm going to get to a point where when my daughter's five and I want to be able to spend all of my time with her and very little I want to be in the owner's box at that point or have the capability to be in the owner's box at that point. I need to do hard things. So like I heard the story, Mike Tyson, like people are like, he can punch so hard because he's punched so many things before that every time he punches something, it tears his muscles and his forearm. So like, even if you could punch as hard as Mike Tyson, it wouldn't feel the same because his forearms bones have been torn, rebroke and in all of his muscles. So it's like doing those hard things, even though they aren't necessarily the same hard thing, it strengthens the mind behind it all that you can correlate the two things. Like, Hey, I've done hard things that other people haven't done. Like going to the gym every morning, I can deadlift 500 pounds. So now I've never had someone break in and steal all my copper from a nine unit, but I've done other hard things and I can look back and like, I got through this. 
I made that happen. I can now make this happen. There's a there's a way. Absolutely tremendous answer. Thank you for going into such great details there. So I'd like to dive into your story a little bit here. Um, so you were laid off last August. Could we kind of get into the um, what you were doing before? Yep. And then how that transition looked. Yeah. So for me, I was selling new homes. I started that um, sometime in early 2018, I believe, which was a normal time to sell homes, right? 2019 was a normal time to sell homes. Uh, and then I kind of got lucky. COVID happened. And I think most of us probably freaked out. And, but things in the real estate world took off. So us new home reps were making crazy money. Yeah, we had to sell a little bit, but it wasn't, if they didn't buy, you knew 30 other people would come in your model that week and someone would buy. In pre-COVID, you'd maybe see 10 to 12 people a month. So you really had to work to get those sales. Um, that whole time, 2018 on, I was buying small multifamily, duplexes through six units is what I was doing. And I was practicing the burn method I had two guys on staff who would do construction and a girl who would handle all the ordering rehabs, making sure they were at their job when they said they were supposed to be. And she was managing my properties too. We were, I was funding the deals myself because I made decent money. I was then refinancing them through like a traditional bank. So I have a lot of apartments at 4% debt on 25 year fixed, which is unheard of right now. And so I just been buying those and then 2020, I didn't sell because I got COVID one month. That was around May. I got COVID. June, the real or 2021, sorry, the real estate market kind of came to a halt here. And that's an excuse at the end of the day. I should have had a sale, but I didn't have a sale. And I think at July, I, I had two sales, but I had to cancel. And then they fired me August 17th. And that was, I really practiced my five minute thing there because they made me come in on my off day to work. So I worked a full day. And then two sales managers showed up and like, that is a death sign. It's like Wednesday at five fifty. sales managers don't work that late. <laughs> and so when two show up, you know, you're getting let go. And I was typing in the email. And then of course the notification on my computer comes up, your email password was changed 12 seconds ago. I'm like, ah, oh, HR is on top of it. So they came in, let me go, expected me to finish the conversation I had with the, set of the appointment I had. I don't know. I was like, all right. So I told him, I was like, Hey, I got a family emergency. I got to go, which probably wasn't the right thing to do, but like, I, I was feeling emotions. I'm not going to lie. Like we had a ton yeah. of backlog over six figures that I wasn't going to get paid on. I was in contract on this 16 unit and an 18 unit that I was using traditional financing. And I knew no other way at that point to buy them. And I knew I wasn't going to have financing. So I had to figure that out. Um, and then at the time I was going to my girlfriend's parents' house and we since broke up, but I was going there and she comes from an affluent family and I knew they were going to question a whole bunch of things. I was like, I do not want to deal with this, but drove my, hung my head and walked out the doors, told them, thank you for the opportunity and drove her to her parents' house. And by the time I got there, walked in the door and told them I didn't have a job and I was content with it. I knew I didn't have a game plan that night, but the next morning I woke up and said, I'm committed to making what I was supposed to make all year in the next four months. And I ended up doing that, but it wasn't easy by any means. This is, this is awesome. I mean, obviously we get a little bit of context. We know how this story progresses. So we know it's all good, um, which makes it fun to dive into the, the difficult moments. You, 
faced things head on. Was that like instilled in you as a young person by your parents? Was that something you picked up? Had you already started listening to bigger pockets? Like what was the thing that allowed you to realize, like, I have to face life head on? Um, I think I started picking it up as a young kid, um, not knowing what I know now, but I live with my grandparents. Mom couldn't take care of us. No idea who my dad is. And so grandpa always worked a ton to take care of the family. And knowing what I know now, like, oh, eight affected me. I just didn't know it at the time. Right. I'm a middle schooler, I think when that crash happened and I remember my grandparents coming to me cause I live with them and my grandpa was like, Hey, I need you to step up. I'm going to have to, he was going to Phoenix to work. Didn't know why I just figured it was crazy money. Right. I literally just found this out probably a year ago. Like it all clicked in my head. Like why? Like he loves his family. Like he does not leave my grandma for anything. Why the, in the middle of me being in the middle of school, did he go to Phoenix? Well, if you look at what happened, everyone got laid off, right? Phoenix was still had, construction projects that need to be done. He was a field engineer for like big hospitals think, and they still had stuff that need to be done. So he transferred out there to make sure money was still coming in. And then two, he has like three daughters. He helps out. Uh, they've been hit in the face with life and health conditions that they can't work full time. So I think I've always had that, that you gotta be a provider and you just gotta do what you gotta do to figure that out. And you never know what life's going to throw at you. And, yeah, podcast definitely hurt. Bigger pockets. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy that's a uh, hardcore accountability. Read his books. Blanking my name right now. Oh, Jacko Jacko Willick. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jacko Willick. Yeah, yeah, totally. I read that in 2018, and that really just set the mind on fire for me. Love it. So you had some examples in real life, and then you obviously you know, picked up some books and some podcasts. Mm -hmm. So what I want to dive into right now is you got fired while you were in contract on, was it a 16 and an 18 unit? You said, yeah, the biggest and I had ever financing's bought. gone now. Mm -hmm. So walk us through the end of that progression. Like how did you deal with the banks? Did you go raise private money? Did those deals just go away? Walk us through like the, the mindset, the emotions, and then what, what actually ended up taking place. Yeah. So the mindset was, what do I do? I've got money down on these. I didn't, I needed some paychecks to come in. still to close these things, I still had time to close them. So I wasn't too worried, but I was planning to close the one of them for sure by myself. The other one I knew I was going to have raised money for it. I needed 600 K to close both of them. Um, and then bank financing, well, bank financing out of the way. I was like, Whoa, what do I do here? And so I just, took that night, hung out with the girlfriend's family. And then the next morning it was just dive in. It's like, what am I going to do to figure this out? So I was reading books, podcast, searching the internet, bigger pockets, uh, forum. And then I found like non-traditional lending for hard money. So I just started calling people and I found a couple of people that were interested in it. And they're like, yeah, you just need to find the funds. Like you have the track record at the time. I owned just shy of hundred total units. Um, had to sell some of those off because I didn't think I could get traditional financing out of my cash. So I sold off some of those units and then I raised money. I actually ended up raising money for both of them and was able to keep my cash, but it was just. So I want to dive, I want to dive deep into the details of this. I mean, like you say, sold a couple off, like how long was the escrow period for these 16 and 18 units? Where were you at in that period? 
how long did it take you to sell off your units? Did you have to sell them for cash uh, super quick to get rid of them? Yeah, so I got pretty lucky knowing what's going on in the market today. So I called my realtor. I listed, I think, 24-ish units right away. Um, or within like a week or two, because I was finishing those projects, had tenants in them. The market was super hot still for rentals. Um, I think California or New York buyers bought all of my stuff. And so they paid for it, no contingencies, no inspections. I think three of them went over ask for prices that I thought were ridiculous, especially right now. And so that freed up a lot of cash for me that I didn't have to worry about things anymore. Like I was like, my the rest of my rentals were on long-term debt. They cash flowed amazing because rents had skyrocketed over the last 12 months and my debt was fixed. So I was in a really good position, had cash. And I was like, if I'm going to get to the next level in life, which for me is I want to have a thousand apartments. I, I don't have a job anymore, so I can't keep buying on myself. And everyone says, no matter how much you make, you run out of capital eventually. So I was like, now's the time. So I just started reaching out to a couple friends and they had heard what I was doing and they were all on board. And it ended up not being too difficult, but I just locked both of those deals up within a week of being fired. So I was hosed. Got it. So I thought. I didn't even have inspections done. Yeah. So you essentially sold 24 units to pick up 44 units. Uh, it was a little less than 44, right? 16 and 18. So 34, right? 34. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's a net gain of 10 units. Yep. In, in much nicer areas. I was going from D to a C and then a Ooh, cool. B, B plus. So significantly price points difference. That's awesome. And Tim helped me find some properties in, in Chicago that I ended up purchasing. I ended up purchasing them on a 1031 exchange from some California stuff. Mm -hmm. um, did you 1031 exchange those or did you get stuck with the, the tax bill? So got stuck with the tax bill, but I had bought enough real estate that I was okay. The tax bill wasn't a huge hit for me because I could cost yeah. some things and it wasn't as bad as most people would think it would be. And for me, I just wanted the cash because yeah. I lost a job that was paying me six figures a year. Exactly. You're, you're in hustle mode, scramble mode. Mm -hmm. So take us, take us a little bit into that part of the story. Like, so you're buying these units, which is great. You're picking them back, you're picking up some cash flow. Like how did you solve your immediate problem of like paying the bills? So I was lucky enough. I didn't have much debt. I had a paid off truck. I had, I had a fun car, but that was it in my mortgage. And then my girlfriend had a car too. She paid for it, but if anything ever happened, like I could afford that and then our food based off of my rental income. My net rental income at the time was 14 to 15 a month. So like I was three to four grand a month in total bills. We were in a really good spot, but it was scary because I'd never spent that money. I'd, I'd save up 50, go buy a property, right? And so that was my whole model that never intended to ever spend that money for five plus years. Absolutely. So let's talk about your mindset after you got laid off, because you said something to me was super cool on the pre-call. I think you said that you were going to make 300K at your previous job. So you set up the goal for Q4 of last year to make 300K yep. and you accomplished that. So let's kind of go through how that process looked. Yeah. So I have a high level girl who's worked for me for a couple years now. And I went to her and I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but like they don't find value in me. I'm going to show them like that I am valuable. 
and that I am worth 300K. So I'm going to make 300K in the last quarter of the year. So I was like, I have August to figure this out, and we're going to hit the ground running in September. Um, I just connected with Tony Javier, who's like the TV guy. So I got signed up right away, started running my TV commercials instantly. That didn't take off for 30 days, and TV's expensive. So I'd spent 10 grand and only had like three leads. And I'm like, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Because I think I'd fronted three or four months. But then September comes around and I lock up a house. I didn't know anything about wholesaling, so I was just locking it down. I'm like, I'm going to flip this house. It was a condo. We flipped it. We started construction the day we closed. By the following Friday, we were done. Photos Saturday on the market Monday. We had an offer... 5k under ask two weeks later we took it we made that was one of my lower end flips thirty thousand dollars second one was in my same neighborhood i bought my house in 2017 for 240 i walk into this house i was like we need to sell i have 800 in my bank account i need to close in three weeks my mortgage is due and it's 1100 and i was like okay what do you need he said 198 being in sales you never agree to their price even if they do agree to it mind you i just bought my house 240 two years ago. So like times are hot right now. So he told me 198. I was like, don't think I can do that, man. I need to be at 190. I was like, but I'll close in your three week time frame. We'll get this done. You get some cash. We pay off your, all your debts that you have. He was like, done. Same thing. We got in that project. We closed on a Monday ended day Friday. The guys had done the flooring, the trim, granite, new sink, three new bathrooms, carpeted the upstairs, carpeted the basement. And painted the whole place in new lights. We listed that thing, I want to say two earth for two ninety-nine. We're in it for less than two thirty, including hole and cost. It went to three thirty. We made eighty two thousand, give or take. That was my second deal. I was like, okay, we got something here. Let's keep going. I'm super intrigued by the TV thing. Yeah. It's like everybody I've spoken to in this market or in this you know, in this industry has said TV and radio don't tend to pay off, mm -hmm. but you went to TV and you're having raging success. Let's kind of talk about how that progression looked because you said the first month didn't go well and it kind of scared you. Mm -hmm. And it was obviously a large monetary commitment. So let's kind of talk about how the TV worked in general. Yeah. I think for me, I've been in sales my entire life, worked at some rather large companies that where it's focus is sales, billion dollar plus companies been top 10 producer for all it's been three so been top 10 producers for all three so sales processes and grid of what i know calling people all the time even if they don't answer 17 times i'm going to pick up the phone call them an 18th time um i always ring people three times in a row no matter what you'd be surprised how many people answer that third time or call you back because they think something's wrong and if they have a house to sell and they need to sell they're not mad about it they don't have a house to sell. You might get some nasty words, but most of the time they, they need to sell when they're coming from TV. Right. So I think well, it's, that's exactly it. You're just trying to find the people who are, who are ready now. Like you're yeah. not trying to badger the people who aren't, but you don't know the difference until you, until you get them on the phone. Yep. So any lead that came Love in, love this. I wouldn't give up on it. So talk to us about the TV. Like what was your message? And like, you know, you kind of mentioned the first month was a little bit slow, yep. but then obviously it seemingly picked up. And and what was so good about it? Was it the quantity of leads? Was it the quality of leads? You know, you were able to get steeper discounts. What made it so good? Um, For me, 
I think what made it good, I, I knew I was paying $10,000 a month and I was like, I can't lose. Like I had no choice. Like you spend 10 grand on something, you need to make your money back. So I went into it with every call. Like they, I think they said, they prepped me like, hey, on a good month, you'll get 25 leads. Hey, that's expensive per lead. Like $200 a lead, right? I never paid for leads ever in my, I, I guess I had in another company that I own, but when you look at it, $200 per lead, I'm like, all right, well, let me just take $200 out of my safe and throw it away. That hurts. So that's how I looked yeah. at every single lead. And then I also looked at it as like, don't worry about the money. The money comes. So focus on their problem and solve the problem. And then you'll figure out the money. And so when I, every call I go into, that's been a 50 K plus assignment for us now that we're uh, assigning deals or all of my 50 plus K flips are all because I listened to them and solved their problem. And typically they didn't have one problem. It's not, Hey, I need cash today. It's, Hey, I need cash for this. I need to stay for this long. Oh, my grandma needs this. Oh, we need to pay off this SUV. They have five or six problems and they're so depressed or in a bad state that you can't just tell them you're going to give them hundred K cash. And we all know that solves their problem. If they get it, you have to walk them through and sometimes write it down. Sometimes type it in an email or text, however they process things and learn and take that. It takes time. It sometimes a lot of time when you're dealing with a 70 year old lady whose daughter has cancer, her husband died of cancer and she just had hip surgery. That was one of our leads. And it's super sad. Every time she talks to you, she's worried about her daughter dying and she's got to sell her house. But when you hear them out and you walk them through it and however they learn, you get deals done. And then the money just came. I didn't have to worry about the money. Totally. Yeah. So you're leveraging the sales skills that you had built in the prior companies, which yeah. is something that I, that I had going on too. I, when I got into real estate, I'd already sold B2B and like those skills are so transferable. Mm -hmm. For our audience, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, so you could you could definitely say no. For our audience, if they want to get a copy of your TV commercial, like is that possible? Yeah, we could for them to see that, and if they want to put put in their market. Yeah, they could reach out to me. Um, probably Instagram would probably be the best part, and send me their email addresses, and I'll have someone on my team send that over to them. Perfect. Okay, sweet. Um, awesome, man. So yeah, you know, and Tim, hop in here if, if you want to take this a different direction. But one of my thoughts is like it's not super often we get people on that are deep in sales uh, for multiple companies, top 10 walk us through. Cause I have a passion for sell sales, exactly. like a deep, deep passion, like the strategy and all that stuff. So you're going through and listing out like, you know, empathy and these different elements of the sale. Walk us through what is the Michael Smith framework for sales? Yeah. I think for me, it's just always listing and let them know that, I always tell them like, especially in this process, I say it's me and you are on the same team. We've got underwriting, we've got to beat, right? So they don't think I'm trying to beat them up. Like I make it seem like I'm a, cause they sometimes make the connection. It's me on the commercials. And I'm like, ah, oh, that makes it a little harder. But then I tell them like, Hey, we're a legit company here. Our goals are to be a big time company. Yes, we're local, but we have underwriting we gotta get through. So I'm gonna ask you some deep questions and it's because I want them to tell me and then when I don't get the price, it's underwriting's fault. I'm not the bad guy. And I can go back, hey, Sue, I know this isn't the price you wanted, but let's talk about the problems it's solving. So it's, it's rapport is the biggest thing, I think. So getting them to relate to you. 
for me, I'm a local guy. I can mention the local high school. I can mention the year I graduated. I A lot of sellers don't have parents that were in the picture or their kids are on drugs or something like that, right? I can really tell that my brother's a drug addict. My mom couldn't take care of me. My dad wasn't around. My grandparents weren't always around because they had to work to provide for us. So your average person has a problem that probably stems from either drugs, a parent not being around, um, running to a family member who back to being on drugs or in and out of jail or something because they want to help them because they have a good heart, um, or they lost a job. All the things I can relate to very well. Um, so relate to them, find their problem, let them know that you're human, you're not above them, because that's why most people hate salespeople is most salespeople come off of, hey, I'm on pedestal three and you're on pedestal zero still, so I'm better than you. And then, then the second thing, second thing is, or the final thing is always reiterating what you guys talked about. And I always ask them like, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing a good job and completely understanding you and just recapping and then tying the motion to it too. So always asking, hey, what would it look like that you didn't have to evict your own son because he's not paying, right? Like ask them to feel that emotion. Ask them to feel like you're going to walk away with 20 grand cash. What does that do for you? And they've already spent that cash. I guarantee they got a truck in mind, a PlayStation 5 in mind, something. They're not putting that money in the stock market. I guarantee it. They're not going to go invest into another real estate deal. Or maybe they are investors, right? And things went terribly wrong. So ask them like, don't you just want to get rid of this headache? You didn't anticipate someone breaking in and stealing everything. What else could come up if we don't sell this thing today that you didn't anticipate that could happen, right? I know you're going to lose $20,000 if we sell it at this price. But let's say the building catches on fire. Are you 100% sure you have the insurance to cover that? Or insurance can take 90 days to pay out. Can you continue to pay the mortgage payment if that happens? Let them feel pain. And asking once you know their pain for sure, which most of the time they... First thing they give you is never the real pain. Dive seven whys in or seven what's in or seven how's in is the questions I tell my guys to ask and you'll find the real pain. And then when you have it there, solve that pain and you'll get the deal. Wow. Um, this is actually tremendous sales advice. Um, I love everywhere you're going. I let them feel the pain. I've never heard it phrased that way. I mean, I've certainly done the same thing. I've utilized the same technique, but I mean, I just, I love the way that you worded that. Like, I just wrote that down and I'm going to definitely write that down in lots of places and keep it. Um, so I'm curious, um, when you are asking questions, because as you mentioned, the questions are the most important part. Like, what are the key pieces of information that you're looking to draw out from these people in order to find the best solution for them? And just to kind of double take on that, do you guys offer multiple exit strategies? Or are you kind of fix and flip wholesale only? Or are you guys doing creative stuff too? So we fix and flip and wholesale, and then we've done two or three innovations. So trying to figure that out, haven't say I've mastered it by any means, but working to be able to do 10, 15 plus deals a year on, on that strategy. Teller financing too. Love it. Diving into the sales stuff. Um, so you mentioned the idea of getting seven layers deep, yep. which is profoundly important when you're selling is getting to really know the seller, what they're wanting to accomplish, so on and so forth. You mentioned underwriting. So I want to get very specific in this. So your process is that you go in, you unpack the layers, you allow them to sit in your pain. You then send to underwriting. Do you get an answer while you're there? Is it another appointment? What's the process look like? 
I'm a firm believer if they're on the phone, they have something to sell. I'm not going to let them get off the phone until I have a contract in hand. Yeah, buddy. Okay, good. That's my good, motto. good, good. Because um, because we had a, a saying when we were working B two B, basically like you know it's 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 the you blow up the balloon, and you only get to really blow up the balloon once. Um, and what that essentially meant is as you're getting to know the prospect and their needs and their wants, a lot of times it comes, especially like when you're buying houses, where the reason they're selling to an investor is there's distress of some kind, some problem they don't want to tackle or is too big for them. And once they've let that out, once they've told you, it, you never get to redo it with the same emphasis again. It's like it just it's desensitized the next time. And so you, that's really your window. So I'm glad to hear you say that. So essentially, you go there, you get seven layers deep, you text your underwriting team or 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 maybe it's just a faux underwriting team. Mm -hmm. And then you go to them and say, this is what they say. Like, is it like the car sales model where it's like, Hey, let me go back to the office, but you're not really at the office type of thing or walk me through that. No, I don't make it cheesy. Um, I, I, I mean, pretty real with it. <laughs> what it does is it buys me time. And I just asked for a minute or two minutes to go back to underwriting. It buys me a minute or two to see what I'm missing. Do I, I can look at what I have as what I think their pain is. Okay. Based on the conversation, as I analyze this, is this actually their pain or do I need to find a real pain? Do I have my numbers on this house? Do I have the windows, the electric boxing replaced, the HVAC? Do I have all that stuff? Do I have my ARV right? If I don't, this is my opportunity to go back in. Hey, Mr. Scheller, I am so sorry. It's Monday. I know that's not an excuse and I need to spend all my time and energy here, but I forgot a couple questions. So a couple more things and I'll go right back to them. I need to know about the windows, the underwriting and you need 10 K to pay off that truck. Right. And if you get that on top of it, we're good to go. And then wrapping up yeah. the whole thing again, and then going back to underwriting and then coming back. And this is really interesting because not only does it time to get you to be able to collect your thoughts, maybe you need it, maybe you don't, but, but you get super collected and focused, but then because there's a break in the conversational flow for a couple minutes, it, you essentially have to restart the conversation, which allows you to resummarize their goals mm -hmm. and remind them that this solution does hit those, those points. hundred percent. And that's when I come back the second time, that's what I always do. Hey, Sally, want to make sure that I'm checking all the boxes here. You need this, 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 and this, you need this much time after we close, you need this much cash to pay off the house. You need to walk away with 10 K because you want to give your daughter $5,000 because she's put up with your brother living for free and she's been paying the whole time. And the 5k gives you enough for two months apartment rent. All right. Am I correct in hearing that? All right, great. I can get you all those things. I know you said 190. We can be at 165. We're going to close on your time frame. No realty fees, anything like that. That works for you. Let's get the paperwork done right now. Now just sit silent. Let them say the next word. Yep. Totally. All right. So I want to throw some, uh, tr true or false. All right. The sale is one at the beginning, not the end. I actually think it's one at the end. Cause you got to build the rapport with them. When they call in, they don't trust you, know you, they think you're fake half the time. Even if they saw you on TV, gives you a little bit of better chance of being on TV, but I think it's one at the end. If you come in at it and monotone, show no energy, 
show that you don't care. Hey, what's the price? What's this? You're never going to get this. You're never going to get it ever. So I think it's one at the end. Cool. So you go through the process, you go seven layers deep. You think everything's going great. You get to the price, you throw the price out there. It's not happening. You do your, you do your walk outside, you get some fresh air, you recalibrate, come back, reassess their goals. It's still not happening. What's your game plan from there? I need to find out why it's not happening. I probably missed that they have competition. I have competition, I guess, someone else trying to buy this. So I need to figure out where the competition is, who the competition is. And like, if I know the competition and they're going to pay more and I think they're going to close, I'm going to straight up tell them, Hey, I actually know Ben. I actually know Mike. I actually know Rob. You're in good hands. I can't pay what they're paying you. If they've got a contract with you, I'd go back and sign that right now. So push them away. Make sure they're yeah. not bluffing me. And if they're not great on to the next one, I stop wasting my time. Right. If they are bluffing, I found out real quick. And I know where I need to be to make a deal. So let's 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 walk into that a little bit. So let's develop the bluff. Mm -hmm. So let's say they are bluffing. What question do you ask that determines it? Maybe it's just as simple as, "Hey, you know, who who made the offer?" Mm -hmm. You find out they're bluffing. What do you do next? So to find out if they're bluffing, the first thing I always ask is, "Hey, you got that price? Why didn't you sign that contract?" And it's typically like, well, I want to see if you want to beat it. And I'm like, man, you've got a huge deadline. You're going to trust that someone else can just come beat this for a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars more. I, I'm scratching my head why that makes sense. Can you tell me what I'm missing? So it's asking a question, right? And giving them time to answer. And then telling them if they're really at that, you need to hang up the phone with me right now and call them back and sign that before they run out of capital and can't buy that deal. So they'll either get off the phone with me or say, well, they had this reason for not buying it or whatever. And there's a hundred different reasons. And that's really where the magic happens, right? Where you're like, you're showing like, you're essentially, it's like almost like a takeaway close mm -hmm. where you're like, hey, go do that deal right now. And it's hard for a seller, unless if they're really sophisticated in, sales processes to not immediately have a reaction that gives you a tell. Even if they have a better offer, a lot of times they're just like, well, they haven't sent the paperwork on time. If you can send the paperwork at that number, I'll sign. Because they have a scarcity yeah. mindset. hundred percent. Yeah. We, we, we sell for sell by owner properties, you know, uh, pretty regularly. And that's always the question. Like, cause it, it's always, I've got a friend. <laughs> okay, fantastic. <laughs> you have a friend in real estate and you're not listing with them. <laughs> like, like, can you tell me why that makes sense? Um, so this is super cool. Um, Tim, I want to get you in on, on this. So what do you see? I mean, like one of the things I love about the Midwest is the amount of cash flow that you could build with the amount of money that is, it's just tremendous. So you're talking about making $14,000 a month and this was a while ago. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're pretty set on your life expenses. Um, what, what is your vision for the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So 12 to 18 months, I do everything in real estate. So I own multifamily. I flip, I wholesale, I own the construction company. Um, so across all those, I have goals for all of those 
the big thing is get the wholesale and the flip company off my plate completely. So systemize, process it, sales manager, COO, everything like that. Um, monetary wise, between those two companies, I'd like to do 4 million next year, which is going to be a lot of work, but I think we can get there. And then I'd like to buy 300 multifamily units, but not the C and D's that I've been mainly buying, moving up towards B's. Um, obviously more expensive, but the risk reward is there, I think, and that it makes sense. And I want to hold these properties for 10 to 15 years or longer. And I think that value will come when you're buying B plus assets over C's and D's. So those are the big two things for me. So 4 million on the wholesale and fix and flip, and then uh, 500 units in multifamily before the end of next year. Absolutely tremendous stuff, man. Um, love what you're doing. Um, let's talk about, so you're, you're looking into systematize the wholesale in the fix and flip, flip mm -hmm. business, and you're looking to focus on acquiring multifamily homes. So like, what's your strategies that you're using to acquire these multifamily homes? Yeah. So most of the stuff I have been going after is 50 units and under I've offered on a couple hundred unit deals, but there seems to be a lot of big time money still at play that they're just offering cash. They can offer hard money. I'm not willing to put a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars hard money, earnest money day one. So I'm sticking to 50 units or so right now. And I'm trying to find the mom and pop sells sellers. Like we're in a contract on a 10 unit. The guy's 72 years old, just wants to be done. Doesn't increase rents because he doesn't want turnover. He thinks turnover is completely bad, but I'm like, you're $500 below market rent. Like on 10 units, that's a lot of money, right? Like $6,000 a unit, $60,000 a year. So we're going after multifamily because I think it's long-term path to wealth. I think, I don't know anyone who's doing much bigger than $10 million in wholesaling and fix and flipping a year. I know lots of people who own $100 million in multifamily and they're walking away with $50,000 cash flow every month. And that's the lifestyle I'd like to build is have 600K cash flow, have a property manager in place, have asset manager in place, have deal underwriters in place. And to help other investors too, like that's something I really enjoy is allow high net worth individuals or people who are just really good savers, focus on what they do best. Real estate is hard as you, both of you guys know, let me deal with those headaches. I enjoy those headaches and enjoy those complications. And I can run through brick walls better than most people can, I believe. And so I, let me get your passive return so you can enjoy the life that you want to live. And that may be working for you, right? So th those are the things I'm focusing on. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to ask you, because we were talking such great things about sales process before, how much of a change in the sales process has there been transitioning from like the lower residential type single family or multifamily to the commercial space? I don't think there's a change, right? Find out the need, the want, the why. It's still the same thing. It's just, they're not gonna make as emotional decisions, right? They're gonna do your research on you. So you need to be prepared to give them the information that they need. They're going to want to see your underwriting. They're going to want to see the bank relationship. They're going to want to see money in the bank. Whereas the other person, like anyone new can start wholesaling with no experience. If you have no experience and you're making $60,000 at your W2 job, good luck getting a hundred unit apartment complex, your first deal. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it's going to be a lot harder. So it's, you could, you walk them through a process still, find out their need and tell them, make them know that you can solve that need. You just gotta be able to prove it. 
Whereas in wholesale and single family, you don't usually have to approve it. Very rarely do I ever even get like a proof of funds or anything like that. Multifamily, very different story. They want to be, they want to see the proof. Love it. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and business for showing us like not only the journey from being fired to replicating your income in one quarter to the vision for the future where people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year passively to all the struggles to the sales tips like and we didn't even get a chance to dive into like how you overcame the the life that you had you know growing up with all the stuff that you had going on your family so there's so much more we could have talked about but thank you for giving us this time to to dive in with you And guys, for those listening, please take action on something that he said, whether it's improving your sales skills, whether it's buying some properties, maybe even investing in the Midwest where you can get some amazing cash flow returns. Uh, but, But pick one of those things, take action, tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time and just start taking those actions because it's not as far away as you think. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next episode.